Good morning. Welcome to our worship service, our, our Advent uh, uh, ser- sermon series. We talk about the longings, the longings of, of Advent. And today our title is Waiting for the Consolation of Israel. Waiting for the Consolation of Israel. This, this season, there's a lot of waiting going on. Have you noticed that? A lot of waiting goes on during this holiday season. Uh, waiting for spaces in the, the parking lot as you're, as you're shopping. Waiting for spaces inside at the cashier's line. Waiting if you're online for the, for the broadband to get faster because there's so many people online. Waiting, waiting, waiting. The, 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 a Thursday, I was on the way home from lunch and I saw a guy that was waiting and I, I had to stop and turn around. I drove by the Senator Theater and there was a dude there who I came to know, his name is Steve, and he was waiting. What was he waiting for? Well, he was waiting for that evening. He'd been waiting for, seven, for 12 hours to go to the Star Wars, The Last Jedi. He'd been waiting. Many people have been waiting. And uh, Friday night, it, 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 there were many people. Despite the snow of Friday and the, and the cold weather, there were many who were waiting. Waiting. There's a lot of waiting going on, isn't it? I think I was about about, I don't know, maybe four or five years old. And uh, I knew what I wanted for Christmas that year. And I told my parents I wanted um, a guitar. And uh, I guess I'd seen one on television or something. And uh, they got me a guitar. After, you know, I, I was, there under the tree was a guitar. And I was thrilled. And after being thrilled, it just sat in a box for several years. Until I was about nine or ten years old, when I said, "Look, you know, uh, Dad, Dad, t- teach me how to play that guitar." My dad got a book. We together he taught me a couple things on, on the guitar, and and you know what? That guitar transformed my life in a lot of ways. It became part of who I was as a teenager. That was the one who played guitar. I might have been a little nerdy, a little smart, but I was, but I could play the guitar, so I was a little bit cool. It's kind of became part of my identity, and, and that guitar has been part of my identity and part of who I am. Even now, people think of me, oh, you're the, you're the pastor that plays guitar a little bit. It, that little gift that I waited for changed my life. You know, Advent season is about waiting for a gift that can change your life. And it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. In, in the, the text <coughs> in chapter 2, which we're going to come to, uh, the chapter 2 of Luke, we think of the, 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 basic, the classical Christmas story. The shepherds of Bethlehem rejoicing at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ in the, as that chapter begins as he is born in the historical context there. And then um, as it goes on that, uh, in verse 20 and following, there's this the, the purification on the eighth day um, where he officially is given his name, uh, Jesus, the, cir- the circumcision there. Now, verses 22 to 24 are very interesting. Um, let me read from the Ligonier Ministries article on, 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 on the next couple of verses, 22, 24, so we can get a sense of the context before we look at the passage. Jews of the first century A.D. followed a number of customs when a baby was born. According to Leviticus 12, the mother of a male baby had to go through a time of purification that lasted 40 days. At the end of that period, she had to bring a burnt offering and a sin offering. Ordinarily, the burnt offering had to be a lamb. Well, the sin, sin offering was a pigeon or turtle dove. Those who were poor, could not afford a lamb, were permitted to offer one of these birds for the burnt offering and one for the sin offering. In the case of the firstborn child, 
the baby was consecrated to the Lord, an act that involved visiting the sanctuary and paying a fee of five shekels to the priesthood to buy a non-Levite child back from a life of temple service. So all that's old, this Old Testament background, Exodus chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 18, that's involved in that paragraph. But here's the key thing. Mary and Joseph, <coughs> they went to the temple in Jerusalem to follow the aforementioned legal requirements after the birth of Jesus. That Mary and Joseph were obeying these commandments says a lot about their, their piety, their pious, devout people. And then the offering of two turtle doves indicates their poverty. They're poor. They're pious. And they're poor. And, and that's the context of, 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 that, that, because they're in the temple now and they encounter two people that Luke tells us about. One this, we'll look at this week, the other next week. Simeon. And, and, and Luke capsulizes it. He was, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And then there was Anna who was waiting for the redemption of Israel. Our text today, we're going to look at verses 25 to 35. Simeon. Let's look at the ESV translation now. <coughs> On the overhead there. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came to the Spirit in, in his spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that's opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. God's word. <coughs> we see here this old saint named the prophet Simeon. And he is described as righteous and devout and Waiting and, and spirit-filled. Three times it says the Spirit of God is moving him. He's, he's seen in the temple re rejoicing in the baby Jesus, who's the answer to all of God's Old Testament salvation promises. You know, you know as we get older, and I say we, some of us, as we get older, <laughs> we, we're going to realize that some of our dreams in this life, some of our longings are going to be unfulfilled. You gotten that point in your life yet? Rare is the person who can look back and say, everything I wanted, I got. Rare, very rare is that person. Like a, youthful idealism at some point gives way to realism and experience. Like it or not, if we're wise, we'll come to see the sad truth that our world is broken because we are broken. The curse has had implications on each one of us. None of our stories will end with a happily ever after. Like a perfectly wrapped gift with a bow perfect bow tied around it. Still in our broken world, our fallen world, we have this longing, this yearning for peace and fulfillment and joy and forgiveness and unity and harmony. Shalom, the, that word that the Jewish people use. Simeon in the temple says, when he sees Jesus and holds Jesus, I can now die in peace. 
by the Spirit, he understands that in the little baby named Jesus was the answer to the longings for shalom that he and his people had had for years and years and years. He held in his arms the day the chosen one, the one the prophet Isaiah had said would be called Prince, Prince of Peace. Simeon is described as waiting for the consolation of Israel. The carolers writes, Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the world, thou art dear desire of every nation, hope of every longing heart. Consolation. It's not a word we use often, is it? Synonyms are, are, synonyms are comfort and solace and sympathy and compassion and empathy, pity. Jesus came to bring those things, to bring consolation to us, to fulfill this. And, and yet, yet, there's a sense in which we still wait for those things, isn't it? He's come, and yet we wait for those things. His first coming didn't completely solve all our yarn earnings and desires. And we know now what Simeon didn't know. That he came the first time and he's coming a second time. So like Simeon, we wait for the fullness. And Jesus invites us, come to me, all you who are weary and are, and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That soul rest. He invites, blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. They'll find that comfort. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. See, the consolation is in, is in him. And so we come, and yet, though we have come, we, we wait. We still wait. The already and the yet, not yet. We wait upon Jesus because only Jesus can bring true comfort to weary, wayward souls like ours. Throughout Scripture, we see God doing that, coming to people in their weariness, in their waywardness, in their affliction. To, in, in people who are beaten up and oppressed and, and troubled and downcast, and God comes to them. <coughs> Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, the last half of his book, the book of, of, of comfort to the restored people's rest, for the people's restoration. In chapter 49, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and he will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My God has forgotten me. And, and the answer is, can a woman forget her, her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will never forget you. It's a promise of God. What a strong promise. No one, no one can comfort like him. Today, our outline today, we'll look at God's consolation and the need for it, the, the, the promise of it, the extent of it, and then the ground of it. First is the need, the need for this consolation. In verse 25, you know, the Jews lived under the oppression by the Romans, and they were a very proud people who had been for years occupied by this world power from the, from the northwest, the conquering monsters, the Romans. Pax Romana, Roman peace. You've heard that maybe from your history. It ruled the known world. It was the absence of conflict. It was economic prosperity. It was, but it was at the expense of the various people they conquered, smashing every rebellion that would rise from the nations where they occupied and controlled. There's no true peace, no inner peace, no relational peace, no shalom, particularly for God's people. 
John Piper says, the consolation that Jesus brings in fulfillment of Simeon's hopes is the application of God's tenderness to a war-weary people. It's the application of God's pardon for a sin-sick and guilty people. When Jesus was born, the voice of God became flesh and dwelt among us. And what the voice said was, console, console my people. Piper says, the consolation that God's anger is past, the consolation that our Heavenly Father has a tender affection for us in our weakness, the consolation that our sins are pardoned and cast into the depths of the sea, Micah 7, 19, this is the consolation of Israel that Simeon was looking for. And it is the consolation that you are looking for if you haven't found it yet in Jesus Christ. Unquote. <coughs> the tragic reality is that on, on this side of, of life, on this side of glory, li life is tough and hard. And, 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 and that even trusting Jesus is no assurance that you will escape the discomforts of this hard life, of this hard world. And the, the Christmas season sometimes brings that out in interesting ways. It's a time where, we, where people feel the weight of loss and of relationships that, are, that maybe aren't right or, or of losses in their lives. It's a time where, where, where the, 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 the hurts are somewhat heightened. Even as we look around in our world today, in our church today, we see pain. Some of us will be going to a funeral this afternoon in New Jersey. L losing a parent, a child, a, a spouse, a brother, a sister, a friend. Or, 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 or memories of those that have been lost in the previous year that, that this Christmas will be different. Th those, are, those are real pains. Losing your health. Losing hope that a child might be transformed by the gospel. Losses. Losing hope that you can get ahead and pay your bills, even. Losing hope that maybe you can pass that class. L losing hope that you ever feel your life is really counted as another year goes by. And losing your faith, your hope that, that, that God really cares about your life. Those, those things are, are real. And those, things, those are hurts that people have. And what does the gospel say to those things? We have, to, we have to all admit that often we have times when we wonder during Christmas time if the Grinch really got it right. There's lots of despair. As, as, as Jeff was talking about, about, about Baltimore and some of the, the needs for, for Pin Lucy Action Network, um, uh, this, I finished a book a few weeks ago that, that was a, it's a great book. It's a book you probably heard about. Um, um, Between the World and Me, bestseller New York Times, Between the World and Me by, by Ta-Nehisi Coates. He's a young man who um, grew up in the, the streets of Baltimore and wrote this book. And this book connects with, if you read this book, you'll, you'll begin to have a great sense of the frustration of urban male youth in Baltimore City, and not just in Baltimore City, but in our world. <coughs> I'm going to read a portion of it for you. Uh, I, 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 the book's been on my shelf for quite a while, and I heard a few interviews of him, and I said, I can't read that book. I picked it up, couldn't put it down. Here's what he says about him. Listen to his sense of frustration. A year after I watched the boy with the small eyes pull out a gun, my father beat me by letting another boy steal from me. Two years later, he beat me for threatening my ninth grade teacher. So not being violent enough could cost me my body. 
and being too violent could cost me my body. We could not get out. I was a capable boy, intelligent, well-liked, but powerful, but, but powerfully afraid. And I felt vaguely, worldlessly, that for a child to be marked off for such a life, to be forced to live in fear, was a great injustice. And what was the source of this fear? What was hiding behind the smoke screen of streets and schools? What did it mean that number two pencils, conjugations without context, Pythagorean theorems, handshakes, and head nods were the difference between life and death, were the curtains drawing down between the world and me? I could not retreat, as did so many, into the church and its mysteries. My parents rejected all dogmas. We spurned the holidays marked by the people who wanted to be white. We would not stand for their anthems. We would not kneel before their God. And so I had no sense that any just God was on my side. The meek shall inherit the earth meant nothing to me. The meek were battered in West Baltimore, stomped out at Walbrook Junction, bashed up on Park Heights, raped in the showers of the city jail. My understanding of the universe was physical, and its moral arc bent towards chaos and concluded in a box. That was the message of the small-eyed boy untucking the peace, a child bearing the power to body and banish other children to memory. Fear ruled everything around me. And I knew, as all black people do, that this fear was connected to the dream out there, to the unworried boys, to pie and pot roast, to the white fences and green lawns nightly beamed into our television sets. And he goes on. The, the, the wonderful read if you want to, to understand and feel the frustration that leads to the things you see on your television set that say our city is broken. It is broken. We need to understand as followers of Jesus Christ the source of that brokenness, that we can be God's hand and God's feet. But the need for comfort in a weary world... <clears throat> That, that feeling that life just doesn't make sense. Don't you have that sometimes? Don't you ever have the feeling that you, you can't identify with Coates and what he says there sometimes? Those who seem to have no hope and no optimism about the future, they, they see no light at the end of their dark tunnel. But you know, <coughs> Christian realism does not say there's no darkness. Christian realism says there is darkness, but at the end of that Darkness is light, a bright light, an eternal light that cannot be extinguished. That's Christian realism. That's our gospel. But there's a need. We need to understand and feel that need. Secondly, there's, there's, a, there's a promise, a promise of this consolation. <clears throat> Verses 25 to 30. And the promise is in the child that he holds in his arms. And this, this, this old guy, he somehow maintained his hope. That God was not dead, that God had not fallen asleep, and he was going to intervene and come, and he does that. Now, of course you might know that for every Jewish young woman, she kind of hoped in the back of her mind that she might have the privilege of bearing the, the Messiah that was to come. It's a dream of every Jewish maiden to, bear, to be that one. And Mary, lo and behold, became God's chosen instrument to bear the Son of God the one who would bring the consolation, the one who would, would, would say, I, I am he who comforts you, Isaiah 51, verse 12. 
Isaiah says, break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. That redemption comes through this baby that Simeon held in his arms, the, the child of Mary. In the end of Isaiah, again, Isaiah 66. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you will nurse, you, you shall nurse, you shall be, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You see the imagery, imagery there. God's going to comfort us. This is a mother comforts a child. That, that comfort would come through Jesus. You see, <clears throat> you might remember in, in the upper room before Jesus died, he's with his disciples, and he, he's going to leave them. And he says, before I leave you, me and the Father are going to send you another comforter. Remember that? Another comforter. Because the first comforter was about to leave. See, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the one who comes alongside, who gives us the comfort, the consolation, and the help of God. And holding the baby, Simeon is holding the comforter, the Lord Jesus. Now, I need to pause here. There's a popular, dangerous, false message that, that some are proclaiming that if you just have Jesus, then, then you have total comfort right now. That you have the helper, you have total help right now. All your problems will be solved if you just believe. All your prayers will be answered if you just believe. All your ailments will be erased if you just believe. Recently I saw the story of a man named Conti Hen. He's a, the nephew of a, the evangelist healer Benny Hen, who proclaim, Benny Hen proclaims the distorted gospel of health, wealth, prosperity. And Conti spoke about being part of his uncle's ministry for, for quite a while until he, his eyes were opened and he said, this is the gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he walked away and he's estranged from his uncle now. But, but no, he, he, said, he, he realized that it's not about just, uh, just believe and, 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 and you have the total comfort that, 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 that you deserve. That you could therefore fly around the world in their jets and, 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 and live in, in the, the greatest hotels around the world. No, it's not about that. It's about the, message, the simple message of Jesus who had two turtle doves because he was poor. See, the message of Jesus is, is, is that we will be, he will be with you even in your sorrows, even in your discomfort, even in your hardships, even in your afflictions. That's the message of Jesus. See, the gospel gives us a real hope for this real world. Many of you know the name R.C. Sproul. Many of you know that R.C. Sproul, the great uh, champion of the Christian faith, the theologian, died. He passed away, went to be with the Lord on this past Thursday. <coughs> uh, Al, Al Mohler, he was part of our denomination, by the way. Al, Al Mohler says that he was one of the great defenders of historic Christianity in our times. It's fair to say that R.C. was the greatest and most influential proponent of the recovery of Reformed theology in the last century. And uh, I would agree with that. Um, in, an, in an article uh, entitled, Death Does Not Have the Last Word, there's been a lot of articles of, about Sproul's beliefs about death, interesting, uh, the last couple of days. Here's what, here's what he wrote in an article uh, about, his, about death. <coughs> when we close our eyes in death, we do not cease to be alive. Rather, we experience a continuation of personal consciousness. No person is more conscious more aware and more alert than when he passes through the veil from this world into the next. 
far from falling asleep, we are awakened to glory in all of its significance. For the believer, death does not have the last word. Death has surrendered to the conquering power of the one who has resurrected, who was resurrected as the firstborn of many brethren. Recently, a, a couple years ago, R.C. was asked what he wanted on his tombstone. And he paused and said, I told you I was sick. <laughs> and if you have ever spent time around R.C. Sproul, that makes sense. What a sense of humor he had. This great, powerful, dynamic theologian. What a sense of humor. <coughs> About in the middle, middle 90s in our General, General Assembly, I was, going, I was leaving early one year and um, let, checked out a hotel. And checking out in the lobby was R.C. Sproul and his wife, Vesta. His wife, who I understand, he met in first grade. And they, whatever, one of those kind of stories. Uh, he invested, and so we, you know, I, I acknowledge him. Of course, you know, he's, it's kind of funny when you're famous. People know you, but they don't have to say to you. So I just kind of acknowledge him. I went out to, to get on the shuttle, and he walked out. And so we're kind of there, and so we started talking, you know. Hi, how you doing? Small talk, you know. This is in the middle. Now, he's in peace from Pittsburgh. That's where, he, that's where he grew up. And, um, but th this is before the Ravens and Steelers had this thing. So we started talking about f football, small talk. I said, you know, I'm, I'm in Baltimore, but I'm a Redskins fan. We, like, we went through all that. And, uh, and then we was small talk. And so then, you know, we, after that, you know, well, after about five minutes, you know, I was waiting for the shuttle. He was waiting for the limo driver. Okay, yeah, limo, okay. So the limo driver came, and so he was going to get in. He said, Hey, why don't you go to the airport with me? So, so I got invited to go to the airport with him and Vesta. So again, we talked. And at that point, I said, okay. So we began, I, we began to talk about our denomination and, and some of the things that were happening, some of the good things that were happening, and uh, about African Americans in our denomination, which was a movement that was just great conversation with him, great heart, great, what a sense of humor. He is going to be a great loss to the body of Christ. But you know what? He's now home with the Lord. He is waiting no more because the promise in his life has been fulfilled. The third thing in the text is the extent of this, this consolation, the extent. <coughs> it's for Israel, it's for all people. A light of revelation to the Gentiles, glory for your people, Israel. Now let's not forget that Jesus came as a man into the world, and part of his humanity was a particular cultural experience. He was Jewish, his, his customs, religious education, language, etc. All they, they all shouted that, that, that one's cultural experience is not to be overlooked. And we see him both affirming Judaism and critiquing Judaism in, this, in the Gospels. Joseph and Mary took him to the temple for purification where the baby encountered an old Jewish prophet named Simeon, an old Jewish prophetess named Anna, and yet even here, in the words of the prophet Simeon, we get a glimpse that this thing will go far beyond the borders of Israel to the world. The people of believing Jews and Gentiles, the New Testament church, the truly chosen ones, includes not those who bear the blood of Abraham, but those who trust the blood of Christ. So that in 1 Peter 2, Peter can say, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But it's not universally automatically applied to all. It must be received by faith. So in John's gospel, we, see, we, we read, he came to his own, 
His own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It's a gift he gave. It's to be received. It's not earned. It's not worked for. The salvation of the New Testament is a free gift of God's grace. Isaac Watts rejoiced at this gift when he reflected on Psalm 98 and the coming judgment of Jesus in that song, that carol, where he says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Watts understood it was for the world, it was for the earth, it was for every heart, it was for the nations, not just for Israel. The extent of the consolation. And then lastly, we see the ground. The ground. What's this grounded in? What's it based upon? Just a couple of phrases from, the, from verses 34, 35 that we need to see there. <coughs> Simeon says to Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That, that's, the, that's the part I want to look at. You notice in, in Isaiah 40, 1 to 2 passage, it talked about um, the ending of iniquity and pardon and talked about doubling for all her sins, the Lord's hand. See, look, God didn't say, I want to save humanity and didn't stay in heaven. He said, I need to save humanity, and the process was that he, he, his son took a body and came to this earth and lived on this earth and came to Bethlehem through the miraculous birth. And at Jordan River, he was fulfilled all righteousness as he was baptized, and, 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 he, and he did a ministry, and he struggled in a garden, my, not my will, but yours be done. And then on Golgotha, he experienced the anguish of the cross obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And then there was an empty tomb, but the events of the gospel were done in a body by Jesus Christ, the God-man. He came on a mission. Few understood that mission. The text says in verse 34, this child is appointed. He was appointed. He was ordained. He was destined to live and to die for our sins. Matthew, in Mark chapter 6, there's an interesting verse where, where the question is asked, uh, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? Carpenter, like most Jewish laborers, he, he, Jesus apprenticed under Joseph, a small businessman. He was not groomed to be a traveling rabbi in one sense. He was a son of Mary. Notice it says, not the son of Joseph there in that text. Son of Mary. It, it lists four half-brothers for Jesus. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And two of them are writers of the New Testament letters of James and Jude. And then it lists sisters, but it doesn't say they're unnamed. It says there were some sisters. Think of Mary. Think of Mary. Because Mary needs consolation as well. She, yes, Mary was privileged to be chosen to bear the Savior, but at what cost? We know that she seems to be alone when Jesus is doing his ministry. Where, where, where was Joseph? At the, at the cross, Jesus hands the care of Mary over to John, the apostle. It seems pretty clear. Joseph died first. Mary was widowed. <coughs> Imagine how Mary was misunderstood through the years, though. An angel did what? 
Wait, no, no. We, we know where babies come from. Imagine through the years conversations with her children who didn't understand. Imagine Jude coming to her and saying, why, why doesn't Jesus ever get in trouble? Why did he ever get disciplined? And Mary would have to reply, because Jesus never does wrong. <laughs> like you. <laughs> imagine, imagine those kind of conversations. Imagine seeing his, her son go into the ministry and remembering in the back of her minds the words of the angels and the words of Simeon and Anna that happened years ago. Imagine when he gets popular, really popular, and the family decides they need to rescue him because they're going to kill this guy. The Jewish authorities are after him. They need to rescue him from himself. And she's, Imagine what she was thinking and feeling. Imagine the discussions in the temple we see in John chapter 7 and 8 where they're upset with Jesus and they say, we know where this man came from, alluding to the scandal of years past. Or even more, not an illusion, a clear John 8, uh, 41. We were not born of sexual immorality. I think Mary felt hearing those things. Mary's pierced heart. Simeon's words are pointing to the cross where she watched her son unjustly tried, beaten, ridiculed, and practically naked before the whole world, tortured by the Romans and the others, pierced for our sins, pierced for her sins, pins pierced for our sins. She had seen his great pain, and she would see his eventual glory. He, was, he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, was pierced for our transgressions. Mary, did you know your baby boy would one day walk on water? Did you know your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know your baby boy has come to make you new? That this child you delivered would soon deliver you? Mary, did you know your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Did you know your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? Did you know your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. She knew, because Simeon told her. Simeon told her, your heart's going to be pierced, because this is not just any kid. This is the Son of God. He brings salvation to all who call on his name. How, how are you doing with the consolation that Jesus brings? You experiencing that? Don't get your expectations too high. There's a measure of joy and constellation, but Jesus, the man of sorrows, doesn't say that right now he's going to solve all your issues. He just says he'll be with you. And says if you, if you will, by faith, trust in him, the end of that tunnel is the bright light of eternity. How are you doing with waiting? That's the hard part, isn't it? <laughs> the waiting part. The waiting for, how the waiting that you might be transformed? <laughs> That's a hard one that you might have your heart changed, that you might have your temptations wiped away. And it'd be, the waiting is hard, waiting for thing, God to do things around you and people around you. How are you doing for waiting for that ultimate consummation, that ultimate experience? You know, like I waited for that gift under that Christmas tree, 
it came, and I rejoiced. But you know what I did for a couple years? I didn't do anything with it. I didn't realize the potential there was in that gift. And I think that happens to quite a few people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. They receive the gift, yes! But they don't experience all that that gift can, can do for them. Maybe you're here today, you need to, to, to experience the fullness of that consolation that Jesus Christ brings. That's you. Trust him. Trust him in a special way. Hand, your, hand yourself over to him in a special way. Let me, let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your, this word, for this word that you have for us today. Strengthen us with it. Bless us with it. I would pray for any who are here, Lord, who, who, who have never come to know that it's simply a gift to be received. We're trying to earn it when it's a gift. Make it clear that salvation is through Jesus, the Savior of the world. And in him, we have all we need. Seal this word. May, it, may, may this week be a great week as we serve you, as we walk with you, as, as we seek to, to be your hands and your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, let's just